And so I'm going to bring us now to the Word of God. We are still in Jonah, believe it or not. Still laboring in Jonah, Lord help us. And so last week we talked about, um, we talked about examining our hearts and taking out the stitches of our hearts. And that being a painful process, but necessary for healing. And so this week, I just want to bring you, after the stitches come out, we got to do a little bit of rehabilitation. So we got what's called the righteous rehab, if you will allow me my cheesy, my cheesy titles. So righteous rehab. When I first went to college, and let me pray one more time, because this is important, because I forgot to pray for Timbo. Let me pray. Jesus Christ, we also remember before you Tim and Elisa um, and Morgan, who are now at college. And we just pray, Lord, as they're away from home, as they're feeling the effects now of distance, as they're feeling the joys of being able to discover new things, at the same time as feeling alone and potentially isolated, we just ask and pray, Holy Spirit, remind them that you are always with them. Remind them that the things that they learned in high school, the things that were put in them from their parents and from this church, was not for a momentary high school experience, but it was for foundations in life. May they, Lord Jesus, go back to foundations. May they know who they are in you. May they love you and desire you more than any other time in their life now. And may their choices, their expectations, and their assumptions about life and what they're doing now be, be uh, propelled from that foundation instead of just emotional experience. Bless them, strengthen them, encourage them. And Lord, in the same way, strengthen and encourage their parents. As the feelings of an empty bedroom, less sounds, less noises, all the things that come with an experience of a, a child out of the house, we pray that you would please guard their minds and hearts as well as they cling to you. We need you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Forgive me, I forgot. That's important. It is so important. Um, I, because I was reflecting on, as, as our seniors were going into college, I was reflecting on my own time, and I bawled like a baby. Holy cow! Sensitive Dave over here had to figure out that I was leaving and that was my choice to leave. And then I, at, at the moment of understanding that and watching a car drive away, I thought, holy cow, what have I done? I am far away from home, and I am naive. Oh, the Lord's kind, though, and I grew immensely. One of my first experiences was a suite mate of mine. So I was in a room, shared a bathroom. And so two of us, nice-sized bathroom, and then a room of four. And... Um, I got to room with a friend of mine, which is really a blessing. That helped a lot with the transition. But when I first met one of my sweet mates, I will never forget this. He is a great man. His name is Jesse Dickinson. And he is the epitome of a skater, if you could ever have one. And I say that respectfully. He walked in. Mohawk was this tall. Straight Mohawk, and it was dyed. And um, he, he has a, a beautiful testimony, but the way, that, the way that he talks and the way that he acted, he kind of had, he was a little bit of a shorter guy, stout, strong guy, um, kind of buggy eyes, and the way he talked was so slow. Hey, man. <laughs> yeah, my name's Jesse, dude. And so I, I was getting to know him, and it was a weird and awkward time because you don't know anybody, but you're, you're living with somebody. You know how all that is. Anyway, so... First time that it comes to studying, he moved his desk into the little space that was connected to the, to the bathroom area, like a study room. They took that over. He put his desk in there, and he put on some music. And I thought, oh, sweet, this will be great. Hear his likes, get to know him a little bit more. And the music that he listened to, that he studied to, that he could concentrate in, was that scream, scream music, where it's just like hard rock. 
uh, where, where the lyrics, you don't know, I personally don't know how they can vocally keep that. And then they go through like this in the song. And he's just, that's like his peaceful mode. And so he was just there, headbanging, doing his, and he was a Bible major. He loved the Lord. Um, he went on actually to graduate and got his degree in counseling and is now a great counselor in Colorado. He's a fantastic guy. But it was just the difference between my expectation and assumption and how he, and how he looked and operated and did and how I looked and operated and did. I put on my smooth jazz music as I'm listening or put on my, uh, Miles Davis was my jam for studying. But anyway, that compared to my friend, my interests were not like his interests. Let's just say it that way. And as I come to the Word today, and as I was thinking about this, I couldn't let Jonah go because there are so many things that are not answered in the book of Jonah for me personally, and I think for us corporately. But one of the things I asked you last week was, is, you, is your heart like the heart of God? And so this week I'm going to take it from compassion to now looking at pursuit. What does it look like to do something as a result? So are your interests the same interests as the interest of God? Are you interested in the same things? I forgot I'm doing this. Bam. So do you have a heart like the heart of God? We talked about compassion over complacency. And this week we're talking about your interests. Are your interests more important than the interests of God? Where do your loyalties lie? Or where do they live? What if the book of Jonah had been completely different? Imagine with me. Because I, I thought as I was going over this, why... It's, he's just a, it seems like he just failed over and over again, and it's highlighted how poorly he did. And this is a prophet the Lord had chosen. And we talked about this last week in, in 2 Kings, how he actually talked to kings on the Lord's behalf to tell them and proclaim to them the prophecy is that land would be returned back to Israel and the boundaries would be pushed back even further than or to the point of where Solomon had the kingdom, which is amazing. So he's coming off of pr prosperous prophecies. And now coming to a nation telling them to repent. And that is a, a difference for, the, for Jonah in general. But there for sure would have been less struggle and hardship if the, if the story would have been different. right? Jonah would have been seen as a hero, potentially, in the sense of he heard the call of God. He went straight to the place. He preached his eight-word sermon. That's all he said, eight words. The entire country knelt before the king, the Lord, the God of the universe, Yahweh himself. But instead, we uh, have this struggle of faith. But I, but I think the Lord gave it to us so that we would be challenged in our own assumptions, that we would be challenged in our own interests, that we would be able to ask deep and hard questions like this of our own outlook. Um, for sure, pagans would not have known God's grace. The sailors and the captains of the ship that he boarded wouldn't have had a moment to repent and see the Lord. Uh, Nineveh and the king of Nineveh wouldn't have a chance to lead his people in repentance. And then you and I wouldn't have an opportunity. Get ready for this. And I say this in humility. To look at subconscious prejudice of our own hearts. To be willing to change them in the view of the wide-angle lens of God's kingdom and his providential choosing. To look at God's mission and not our mission. You see, Jonah and the way that we look at this came from a prosperous nation borders expanding, and having to go to his enemies to proclaim, we talked about this last week, their repentance. 
The very people that could annihilate and take them over and were taking over their lands. He had to go to them and extend the same blessing that God has extended to his covenant people. There wasn't room in Jonah's mind for that to take place. He wasn't willing to extend the blessing that he had received to someone else who is an enemy of God. Are you willing in your revelation and in your scope for others that are maybe your enemies, maybe others that are not like you, people from other nations and worlds to experience and have the same blessing that God has? The answer that I think we all say is yes. But then the reality of what that looks like lived out and for us to actually apply those things is, is very different. How can we actually be faithful to be like a Jonah and go. Took him a long time to get there, but he eventually got there because the Lord made him go by being the vomit of a fish. But hopefully we don't have to be that way. But are we willing to extend the blessings God has given to us as his people to those that are enemies of God? The prophetic challenge through all this is this. Are you like God or are you like Jonah? Compassionate and inclusive or are we limited in our nationalistic view of the world and of self? Do you pity the plant and not the people? Jonah had more pity for a plant that God had given him than for the lives of 120,000 people as they had the ability to bow before the king of the universe. So I'm going to bring us through some things, but here's my hold up. Ready? I was reading through Jonah again. And this is me as I'm going through this, so I'm bringing you on my own journey, and I believe the Lord is growing me and growing us corporately. This is Jonah 1, and it reads like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. What struck me was not only the, re- the reluctance, but the outright disobedience that Jonah has. And we talked about this about four weeks ago when Stephen opened the text for us. But as I'm reading over this again and just trying to prepare and think about things, there's something, so I'm back in school. And we often talk about an education, and I'm teaching a class, and I'm thinking about how I can engage my students. The domains of learning or the ways that you can engage someone in their learning, fair. So one of which is the three facets of, of your, your wholeness, your head, your heart, and your hands. So you engage their intellect, and you help their understanding of a subject matter. You also get to their heart, their, their why you do things the sensitivities, the challenges, the inward workings of who you are as a person, and then the hands. What does that look like from from your head and your heart to actually operate then in life? The domains of learning is one domain. There's many different ways of education and doing things. But I always, I think through that lens a lot. And so I put that right on top of this and I see, okay, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He is a prophet. The guy knows who he is. He was already commissioned and called He already proclaimed before Jeroboam II that the kingdom of Israel Israel is going to be extended. There has already been success in his his prophetic word. Then the word of the Lord comes to him again. This This is all he does. He hears from the Lord and then communicates it. And it says, go to Nineveh. And so he says, right, I hear you, and I'm going to go to Spain, the very opposite direction. But here's it is, the head, 
He heard it, and he understood what God wanted to do. Because in chapter 4, he's mad at God that the Ninevites have repented and God is relenting because he said, I knew you would do this. I knew you would be compassionate. It's like if I give my middle son Stone, who's very picky when it comes to eating spaghetti. doesn't like spaghetti. And I put it on his plate for dinner. And he says, why did you give me spaghetti? You know I don't like spaghetti. There's like an understood, you knew I don't like these things. I knew you were going to do it, and here you've done it anyway, and so now I'm mad at you. So we have this very toddler-like reaction of Jonah saying to God, I knew you are this way. Your character speaks for itself. You are unchanging. This is why I had a problem to begin with. Because you are so compassionate, because you are so kind, and because you are willing to extend your blessing to someone that doesn't deserve it, I'm mad at you. And I can't love these people. Because he's got such a nationalistic idea of himself as an Israelite, as God's chosen people, and what Israel should be as the place in the world. The prejudice he has for other people is blinding him and destroying his idea and his ability to care for them, to love them like God loves them, and to pursue them in a kingdom mindset. You guys all see that? And so Jonah rose, he went to Tarshish, so he knew what he was doing. He denied it in his heart, and then he went and took an action. There's where I'm going there. We have head, heart, and hand kind of present in the first section of the book. Y'all feel me there? I think we're on the same page. And this is wild. He not only conceived of an idea and felt the anger against God, he took an action by not only boarding a ship. It includes in here, which is always interesting to me, so he paid the fare and went on board. So his money also spoke on his sinful behalf. To say, I'm willing actually to give my income to go against the will of God. That's some bold defiance. Okay? So I'm confused by that. And then I come here. And then we, as we go down um, in verse, verse um, eight, 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. Let's just start at verse 8. This is when the ship is going crazy. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is the country, and of what people are you? Those questions come out of nowhere for me. So God is hitting again. Why is this book here? God is hitting again at the very core of who Jonah is. He's allowing himself to highlight before these sinful sailors that you don't have a place in God's, God's covenant people. So who are you? Why are you here? Why, why is this happening to us? And so his response, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were afraid. What am I pulling out there? He goes again to a nationalistic response of who he is. You see where I'm going a little bit? So instead of just saying, I, I fear God, these kind of things, he gives the, the big contextual name for who he is as an Israelite internationally. You would call yourself a Hebrew. So he calls himself a Hebrew, which is the international word or context that people would know who they are outside of Israel, uh, declaring his ownership of a, of a right, of a country, and of a place. I think it's often so easy for us just to declare the things that we have or the things given to us rather than the responsibilities the Lord puts upon us to do. And so I'm challenging us this morning is as we go through a rehab process, 
we've taken some stitches out and seen maybe where are we not in line with the heart of God? Where does your interest lie now? What are your interests and are they the interests that God is interested in? Or are we doing our own thing? Jonah's interest, when it comes to defining himself, he defines himself as in a nationalistic context again. Because his whole purview is similar to that of the disciples in the New Testament, where they had an idea of the Messiah coming, and there would be a political upheaval, and, and Rome would be outed, and Israel would be brought up, and Messiah would wipe everything out. But again, this is what's taking place. God is saying, I'm not sending you as a Hebrew to obliterate my enemies. I'm sending you to extend my compassion because of my very character. But the prejudice of Jonah is blinding him from being able to see those things. Then we fast forward to the end of the book. Last verse. And, you, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there were more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left hand? Also, much more cattle. It ends in a question, and I am just left there like, like my favorite TV show just ended, and I've got to wait to the next season to figure out what happens. You see what I'm saying? It's the biggest cliffhanger of all, and there's no answer. What happens to Jonah? What happens to the Ninevites? I've just gone through this roller coaster ride of emotion where I'm seeing Jonah's disobedience, the Lord's compassion, Jonah's anger. And then I see pagans those that don't follow the Lord, that are totally out of God's chosen people, at the drop of a hat, turn away from their wicked ways and follow who God is. The sailors did it when they recognized that God was in control of the sea. They, had exceeding, they were exceedingly afraid. They had fear, just like Jonah claimed he did, but it resulted in no fruit. Sailors had fear, and there goes their repentance. Save us, O God. We need to follow Jonah's, Jonah's God. And then the Ninevites come in, an eight-word sermon that is nothing. If I could preach a sermon like that in eight words, holy cow, that would be awesome. He just says, repent, your city is going to be destroyed. That's all he says. And it filters through the people, and they begin, they begin mourning. They begin repenting. They stop sinning. They turn from evil. And the king makes it an edict to follow God and repent. It's unbelievable. And so all these things are taking place, and we come to the very end of the story, and it just says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, who are just ignorant, and also much cattle? Maybe if you'll be kind to the plant, you'll be kind to the animals. That's what God is saying. It's the wildest thing for me because then I'm left again. Lord, you have, you have thrown out a prophetic challenge. You've, and you've not answered it or shown us the end of the story. Because I think the challenge is also for, for the readers, for you and I, for covenant people of God, to look at your own heart to see, do you fall in line with where God is doing, where he's moving, and where he's going? Or are you so ingrained in your own doctrines that you cannot perceive with your head? You cannot perceive with your heart and with your emotions. And you cannot take an action with your hands to fall in line with the interests that God has. So here I am. Here's my righteous rehab, the prophetic challenge. Are you like God or are you like Jonah? Are you compassionate and inclusive, allowing those into the kingdom based upon his mercy? Or are you limited, nationalistic, 
and selfish, willing to pity the comforts of life, the plant over the mission of God and his people. Here's my righteous rehab. Oh, prophetic challenge. Are you like God or Jonah? Um, righteous rehab head. I'm going to take a couple different things and just break this down for us, and then we're going to pray together and ask the Lord to begin to move our hands, to move our heart, and to move our minds in a way that benefits Him and not just ourselves. That's my whole point today. So righteous rehab, eyes to see. Um, I wear contacts. Apparently I have just discovered I also have astigmatism, which is kind of crazy and common, but whatever. I have contacts and I can't see beyond like here in my my face. So if I take my contacts out, I'm not, I have very poor vision. And uh, earlier this week, and it happens, you know, from time to time because I have to go get new contacts. I was, I was not being able to see clearly and it kept bothering me. And so, you know, they, my eyes get dry a lot. I put drops in my eyes. I try to move my contact around. My kids are always asking me questions and then they start poking their own eyes because they think they can fix things. And it gets really weird in the house and at work and stuff. But I was trying to like, fix my contacts and fix my eyes because I couldn't focus. I couldn't see. Everything was a little bit blurry and a little bit off. And every time this was happening, it was also messing with my head. Because my perception was not allowing me to think and see correctly. You see where I'm going with this? I think, I think we as the body of Christ, all believers internationally, the corporate church, need to ask the Lord to open our eyes to remove blind spots that we cannot see. Jonah did not have the eyes to perceive what was going on. The Lord was using him prophetically to call a nation to repentance, that God's glory would be displayed, and, and that there would be beauty shown in who Yahweh is. But he didn't have the eyes to see that there could be others included into his same blessing. As I think about my own life and I think about what's going on, um, I'm challenged by this because the Lord brought up a man in his imperfection. I, as we see throughout Scripture, the Lord uses imperfect people to do his mission. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because that's me. And he brings him up and he gives him a mission and he sends him on course. As he sends him on course, uh, his disobedience leads him to the water. In the water he was swallowed, and obviously we see a massive foreshadowing of Christ. Right? He was in the belly of the whale for three days. The Lord spits him up on a dry land. He, in essence, he was dead at the bottom of the water in the belly of a whale for three days. He comes up, and the Lord gives him an opportunity again. And he goes, and he, and he is grateful to the Lord for his faithfulness to be saved. And he actually does what he's asked to do, but his attitude on the outside is still bitter and nationalistic and prideful. So he goes and he does it and he preaches to enemies, to his enemies, that they would also know what it means to be brought into the covenant love and compassion of who God is. So we see these massive foreshadowings and parallels of Christ himself, right? Obviously Christ died on the cross, taking the wrath of God, the punishment of sin. All that was relented in Jonah was put on Christ. Because it doesn't say God forgot about it. It says he relented of his, of his punishment. That was put on Jesus Christ on the cross. He was buried. He was dead. He raised in three days. And through his ministry, his enemies are given the ability to live in the kingdom of God. 
the, the beauty of what's happening in Jonah and the foreshadowing of what, who Christ is and what he's coming to do is there. Jonah couldn't do it. The book ends with him in a bitter attitude, sitting on the outside of the city in a hut, mourning over his lost shade and complaining about the hot wind, mad at God that his compassion would be extended towards his enemies. And then the, the scene closes and the show stops and the series loses its uh, backing. So we don't have next season. So I, I'm just looking at this. Jonah didn't have what it took. He didn't have the eyes to see what God was doing and the heart to understand or the mindset to see how it fits into God's plan. But Jesus does. And so my prayer for us as we rehab and as we take stitches out of our heart is say, where is there blindness in our own, in our own eyes that's affecting our mind and affects the way that we live and interact and see each other? And how can we eradicate those things to get our eyes adjusted again to see what God is doing that we would fall back in line with how our, our minds and our intellect and everything operates into the mission of God? Jesus spent his time with those who knew they were sick. Are we spending our time just making ourselves feel better? Or are we willing to get outside into the mission of God and proclaim his goodness even to those that are not like us? Uh, here's the heart, the will to pursue. You guys all know the song, Born in the USA? Um, it's an amazingly anthemic, triumphant song. Is what it seems like when the chorus rings. Born in the USA. And it goes, and this is the song that Backyard Barbecues are famous for. We can do this. The Weekend Warrior loves the song, right? Um, I was looking into the song, and in all honesty, it is, it is a story about the haunting life of a Vietnam vet coming back from war. And so we often proclaim, it's so great to be born in the USA, when in real reality, if you look at the, the, chorus, the verses of the song, there is a dark undertone and, and to some degree a correction of the United States. Because men had to go fight in Vietnam, and then they came back and they couldn't find a place back in life. They couldn't get jobs. They were pushed out, and they couldn't, they couldn't get the, the needs and necessities, the things that they had in life. So it's to somewhat of an indictment against the United States. But we have misunderstood in patriotism the message of the song. And I'm using that as an example today. I think oftentimes our patriotism or our nationalism blurs us from understanding the true meaning of the gospel. I can't speak for Bruce Springsteen or his political views, or whatever else. I'm just using it as oftentimes it's misunderstood how we hear something and assume it means one thing. When in reality, the undertones and the writings and the definitions are really about something else. Of, of a, this in particular is about a, of the, the shame of Vietnam on the people that fought there. So it's interesting because we persistently go after things that we seem to be right but in reality are not the heart and the, the thrust of God. Do we often misunderstand our patriotism or our loyalty to a nation over that to our kingdom's citizenship? It's so easy for us to get those things intertwined. The reality of who we are as kingdom citizens, first and foremost, are that we belong to God and are aliens in this land.
And the way that we are to be here are to be those that inject life. And the Bible says to still be obedient, to give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to honor those things as, as they have been put over us. So the attitude is not, not mean or, or wrong there, but I'm just trying to challenge us to say, where is our heart? Do we often blend and mix the scriptural context of how we're to live in life with the uh, explicit and implicit meanings of the gospel so that our national pride or our patriotism falls in line and even becomes the same thing as our gospel heart because they are separate. And this nation is in need of the true gospel, not the watered-down version that just hits at what I talked to my students this week at school, a moral therapeutic deism. And we'll break that down. A God who just makes us feel good about ourselves. Moral therapeutic deism. Or a God that it just improves my self-esteem. Because that's not the kingdom. And that's not what the Bible's about. Amen? Amen. So as we think about these things, what is our heart to pursue? Are we persistently going after righteousness and truth and justice in the way that God wants things done? Or are we getting things done in the way that we think that they should happen? Have we mistaken our patriotism for righteousness? Get to know others for the sake of the kingdom. Learn from others' giftings and their backgrounds, wherever they're from. If they're African American, if they're Indian, if they're Chinese, look at how their gifting participates in the kingdom of God and fills out our own vision of who Jesus Christ is. And who do you know that is sick? Because we need, in the same way, the transformative gospel to come into the hearts and minds of those that need the word of God to bring healing in life. Amen? Are we willing to go beyond our comfort zones, unlike Jonah, to bring the word of God to a people that need it and to see that they can be blessed even though they're completely other than we are? The last thing is this, do we have the hands, the, the action to prove it? The strength to attain something. My kids have all been, as they were children, um, pretty clingy. So if I try to give my kid to Tony for a second, hey, can you hold my son while I do something? There's just, just nothing happens. I can't, it's like pulling off a koala from your, they're just, you know what I mean? Like a sloth, interesting animal, incredibly slow, fantastic grip. Anyway, um, it, so I, Gigi, I was thinking about this because um, my youngest daughter is the most recent one where she, if she's scared of something, she clings to her mom, Kathy, and she holds on to her until she understands what's going on circumstantially and is able to release the grip, if that makes sense. Um, our biblical truth and doctrine should be a vice grip on our life and not a chokehold, if you can hear that correctly. The way that, that the Bible and the way that who we are as kingdom citizens, who we are as in involved in the mission of God should be something that grips our lives and clings to us just like my daughter would cling to my wife because it grounds us. It gives us security and it propels us forward in life to know that we're acting in accordance with what God is calling us to do. Not a chokehold in the sense that it should refrain us or pull us back from action or that it is incorrectly given so that it chokes out others because of the way that we're living our lives. Grab a hold of the truth and live it out. Don't run from what is hard, but persist in it. The hard work of sanctification. 
Somebody once told me that sanctification is the process from getting off of your knees in, in prayer and walking it out in life. So as we walk out our life in our study of the word, in our application of who God is, as we walk that out, out in life, let's allow that transition to be smooth and fluid as we cling to the word of God and then apply what it means in the appropriate contexts. Um, the interesting thing here is a kingdom mindset takes advantage of opportunities for the gospel to shine. If we're going to be kingdom followers, let's back our words up with true action. Jonah didn't do that. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I, I um, am owned by God. I'm his chosen people, Hebrew, and I fear him. I fear the God of the Hebrews. Um, but he kept his limited vision to only who he was and didn't allow others to participate in that. And then his fear did not produce faithfulness. His fear did not produce faithfulness. We see that um, the, the fear of others as they experienced who God is from the king of Nineveh and from the sailors produced faithfulness and a repentant heart. But the fear of, of Jonah produced an inadequacy and it wasn't truly there. And so I'm saying as we think about and know who we are, as we understand the compassion of God in our heart and the way that it transforms who we are and the way that we live, then the actions that we take and the things that we do with our hands should show those things. If we believe this stuff, will we live it out? We need to get on the right boat. This is big stuff for me, and, I take this, and I'm taking this personally because I believe the Lord is adjusting my perspective. And so I, I'm asking you to join me in my own adjustments. I just, the way that God ends this book specifically and why it's included in the scripture, I think is so imperative because it's a call to all of us to say, challenge yourself and check yourself. Do you fall in line with the things that make you the most comfortable and the things that you want the most? Or are you willing to yield those things for my will in my heart and the blessings that I want to give to whoever I want to give it to? So hear this, church family. God is calling us to be like him, to not get our language mixed up with the language of the day, to not get our hearts and minds mixed up with how we, we get so inundated with the comforts and the joys of living in the United States of America and thinking that America is the biggest and best, but to see that the Lord has in his whole purview the world. His kingdom is not limited to just a people anymore. Because Jesus Christ came in the proper way and did what Jonah could not do. He was in the belly of the earth for three days and was spit out and includes his enemies into the kingdom mindset and kingdom vision to be faithful proclaimers of the kingdom of God. And so now our proclamation from Jesus himself in Matthew 28 is to go and make disciples. In the same way that Jonah was told to go tell them to repent, we likewise are told to go into the world and make disciples of all nations without prejudice, without a nationalistic mindset, but in the idea that we are kingdom citizens put here as a conduit of change to bring life and transformation wherever we go. Do we have more pity for the plant? than we do for the people. Prejudice blinds the kingdom vision, and we're called to be faithful, faithfully obedient to the word and the call of God. So hear the prophetic message today. Jesus Christ is far greater 
than any foible or human can be. Jonah couldn't live up to it, but Jesus did. And he empowers us. He transforms us. He's given us a new heart. He's given us a new mind. And he's given us redeemed actions to now be better than what we once were as we strive forward to be faithful kingdom representatives wherever we go. There's no conclusion to this book because I think it is the kingdom being advanced continually. It's the gospel going forward. So as we look to the New Testament, there's the continuation of Jonah. As we look to modern day context today, there's the continuation of Jonah is, is you and I being faithful to hear the word of God and present it and to have a heart like God and to have interests that fall in line with the interests of the creator. Praise Jesus. What will you do? Look beyond prejudice to have a heart for people. God chose us and he put us here for a reason. Rehab what needs to be strengthened in your heart, in your mind, and in your action so your outlook matches God's hearts and not Jonah. Jonah couldn't allow room for this, but Jesus Christ could, and Jesus Christ does. We uh, are in a great place because we are in the covenant people of the Lord and have been given the ability through His Spirit to faithfully hear His call and heed His call. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We step back from your word and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being faithful to correct us. Thank you for being faithful to direct us. Thank you for being faithful to empower us, to live obediently according to your word and to see who you are and to desire to honor you in that place. Lord, you are so kind to us and you're so good to us. And Lord, we just confess now, we don't want to be like Jonah. We want to be like Jesus but we see the proclivities of our own hearts oftentimes, running away from the things that you have called us to do and making excuses for the things that you want that we don't. And so, Lord Jesus, we set those at your feet now and ask and pray, Lord, that as, as you remove the stitches from our heart and as you begin to rehab us and sanctify us and put us again on the path and journey of covenant faithfulness to you, help us, Lord Jesus, in St. Louis, Missouri, to be faithful to your word, to be faithful to your mission, and to see your kingdom come your will be done. Thank you for choosing us and for using us, Lord. May you be glorified in your name. Amen.